Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Ahí va a llegar el gol del Arsenal Ophil. Marca Mesut Ophil. Alexis en el descuento ha marcado el Arsenal como viene siendo habitual esta temporada. Gol de Alexis 1-0 Arsenal. This is Arscast Extra. Hello there, welcome to another Arscast Extra as always with James from Gunner Blog. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, good weekend? Yes, very good weekend. Mm. Um, it was Halloween here, but you wouldn't really have noticed. Around where I live, it's a little bit dangerous, so no kids actually come and trick-or-treat or anything. Uh, there's a kind of pervasive fear that prevents them doing that. Well, what's, people... what's in your area? Monsters or bad well, people? Here, for one. <laughs> um, but yeah. no, I don't know. Uh, yeah, bad people. Uh, that's, the, that's the way it goes. I mean, actually, it's fine. But, um, mm. you know, there's, it's not the kind of neighbourhood where people are encouraged to, to wander around unarmed at night. Um, <laughs> what about you? Good weekend? Uh, yes. Yeah. A little bit too good on Saturday night, I think. But um, there you go. Well, you know, I, I'm recovered. Um, before we get on to the Arsenal thing, I just wanted to talk about something that happened yesterday in the Manchester Derby that seems to have gone completely under the radar or not mentioned. Um, Joe Hart came thundering out of his goal and and put his head on the referee, Michael Oliver, um, in a way that we've seen players get sent off for for doing it to another player. Mm. Any particular reason you can think of why this has been completely glossed over? Sky didn't even seem to mention it. That is strange, isn't it? Mm. Um, I don't know. Maybe it's because he's he's an Englishman. Uh, does that does that play into it at all? Maybe. Uh, I mean, we've seen the likes of Alan Shearer and John Terry get away with some things on the pitch that, you know, no other player seemingly would Mm. because they were high-profile England internationals and perhaps because of that they had a a close relationship with the referees. Um, It does seem odd, doesn't it? I mean, you you imagine if it had been a different player, the consequences might have been far greater. Or a different referee. You know, he just seemed to stand there and take it, which, um, yeah... He's, he's an odd one. But the standard of refereeing, of course, this season, uh, and over the past few seasons, I think has been decreasing fairly rapidly. Yeah. It's bad. I think uh, it's not... Uh, oh, sorry about that. Just That was me re-watching the incident. Um, yeah, I think the, the standard of refereeing has got bad, and one of the things that does rile you a little bit is when... It's horrible when you see referees sort of calling some of the England players like by their first name and things like that. Do you know what I mean? I mean Waza. Yeah, Waza. Not not a huge fan of that, I've got to say. Mm. Um, and it feels like this is another one of those instances where the nature of that relationship has been a, a factor. But referees should be should be stronger than that, really. Yeah. All right. Okay. Well, look. Uh, let's leave that to one side and discuss what was, uh, in the end, a good win. Um, we mm. did leave it a little bit late, though. Um, to to be like hugely comfortable about the whole thing, which isn't to say we weren't dominant in the game, and we were, and I think we we uh, we played pretty well overall. Just couldn't find the breakthrough until until Alexis did his stuff, and we'll come to him in a moment. But interesting as well that we played a four four two for the first time in yeah. what seems like ages. Yeah, and I've got to be honest, I didn't think we would see that um did he not say know, that in the press conference a few weeks back though he did say we will do it from time to time he did i think he said it um it might have been in that video where a number of arsenal bloggers asked him questions and he answered i remember him being asked about 442 in that perhaps by by at geezy peas and uh he said yeah i'll be i'll be bringing it out but 
he said things like that before, you know, things like, oh, we'll give Theo Walcott a chance through the middle and then it, it never really materialised. You know, I, I'm not, I don't always take him at his word, but he Park will be an asset for us. Exactly, yeah. Um, but he did use it. It became very clear as soon as the game started that it, it was a 4-4-2. Um, anecdotally, in, in the press conference room after the match, a lot of journalists were sort of turning around saying, oh, I don't think it was a 4-4-2. Uh, despite the fact that Arsene himself had confirmed it. It was quite strange. Mm. Maybe they'd already written their match reports and didn't want to change <laughs> it. But I, I think it's really encouraging because I think against a team like Burnley, who did defend very deep and very compact it's really useful to have you know two men who you can who you can hit into feet or or however you want to do it and it just gives you that extra presence I thought it was promising that we showed a bit of flexibility Mm. I mean some of that obviously was to do with the the fact he expected Burnley also to play a 4-4-2 you know which wouldn't leave us overrun in midfield and did that then explain the decision to start both Arteta and Flamini which considering the opposition um, some people have said it was a bit unambitious a bit too cautious I mean do you balance that because you know it's we are still let's face it a team that is very slowly building some confidence and form yeah that's right and I think you know after the match when he was asked about the system, he said it was a four-four-two, and and that means you have to try and get a bit a bit of a balance between attack and defence. And I think, you know, he, he sought to achieve that balance by having Arteta and Flamini in there. I think if you had, you know, the mythical DM in there, you could probably play Aaron Ramsey in there too, and and have enough cover. But I don't think Arteta or Flamini on their own perhaps are strong enough to to play that role in a four-four-two. So maybe he feels he needs the security of both in there mm. um, but I think as you pointed out on your blog it was telling that when Aaron Ramsey came on certainly our tempo and you know the, the number of chances we created increased what do you think the issue with Ramsey is just at the moment is there a sense that perhaps he's still not quite 100% fit and given the opposition that we're facing at the moment this is a time to uh, let him rest up a bit let him get um, properly fit um, I think he's, he said after the game that he's he's being super cautious with Ramsey at the moment. Mm. Yeah, it's it's a weird one, isn't it? Because he was expected to be out for quite a long time. Then he came back quite early, but he's not come back as a regular into the into the mm. starting lineup. Um, I can only assume that there is some sort of underlying issue. You'd have to think that hundred uh, percent Aaron Ramsey would be starting week in week out at this stage. Yeah, and I guess we'd all rather that Arsene was cautious rather than that he suffered any kind of recurrence. So, you know, it's difficult to complain too much about that. Um, I, I think it must be to do with physical, don't you think? Yeah, I would have thought so. You know, like you say, if he's fully fit, he's got to start because of the impact that he has and, and has had over the last 12 months. So, um, you know, without all the information to hand, and we don't have all the medical information, you know, my assumption is that he is being um, very cautious with him and doesn't want to, you know, uh, put him in a position where there's a recurrence of any injury or, or anything like that. So maybe he is acting on advice where they're saying he's a little bit, you know, in that fabled uh, zone of redness, perhaps. Yeah, exactly. Well, on the subject of central midfield, I, I didn't get the impression you particularly enjoyed Matthew Flamini's performance at the weekend. No, I I thought he did quite some quite good stuff, but there was this two minute spell in the in the second half where he just was wandering around the place. He booted the ball miles up in the air. Um he was crunching into tackles and missing the ball and it was a bit odd, you know. Um I, I just I was surprised that he stayed on rather than Arteta, to be honest. Um Given Me that too. we were going to be a bit more ambitious, I would have thought Arteta, just in terms of controlling the play and the passing and the way that he would, he could dictate that from deeper. Um, you know, he is perhaps better on the ball than than Flamini. Um, but you know, I don't know. Well, you're, I don't suppose the expectation level can be can be that high. He is what he is, and he does what he does, and for the most part, he does it all right. But I think he's. You know, he struggled at times this season in terms of his form. And there was one moment, I think it was in the, I think it was in the first half, could be mm-hmm. wrong, where he chased a ball down the down the touchline um, towards the left back position, where in fairness he was covering, but clumped it straight into the path of uh, a Burnley player. 
Um, you know, and if that's better opposition, perhaps you get hurt. So yeah. I just think there's been a moment in almost every game that could have proved really costly with him um, in, the, in the last few weeks. So that's why I was just a little bit surprised. I thought that um, if Ramsey was going to come back into the team uh, on Saturday, it would have been at the expense of Flamini rather than Arteta. Yeah, I, I think so. And maybe that will be the case in, in the coming games. We'll have to to wait and see on that one. Mm, all right. Well, look, um, we can go no longer without discussing Alexis. We've done um, well. We've got quite far. Yeah, we have. Ten minutes, practically. Maybe. Wow. Not bad. I wouldn't have put money on that. <laughs> um, what, what more can we say about him that we haven't already said? Uh, the first goal... Um, Arsene Wenger called it an a, an English goal in the sense mm. that you know it's um it's not like a slick passing football or or South American skills. It's a, a a small guy leaping between two big central defenders and nodding the ball home. Um, I mean, I didn't know he had that kind of goal in his locker, really. Um, mm. But but I'm I'm glad to be surprised uh, consistently by what he does and how he does it pretty amazing I mean I don't know if you saw uh, match of the day but I think they did a graphic uh, after the game which showed that at the point where he met the ball I think he mm. was uh, 6 foot 10 yes I saw that yeah pretty incredible really I think he's 5 foot 7 so it's a hell of a leap and, and his marker I think was 6 foot 4 mm. I mean obviously he's got a running jump on that guy but the athleticism and the desire to score that goal is just phenomenal really mm. that's what Wenger um, said wasn't it it was a goal that was born out of desire and determination than anything brilliant technically but I, you know I think that there's a balance to be found there because there is something very technical about timing your run about tracking the flight of the ball about uh, being uh, good enough to do that between two central defenders I think you know it perhaps did him a little bit of a disservice it was desire and it was determination and you could see that that played a huge part in it but there is a technical element too yeah, I mean, maybe that tells you a bit about Wenger's tastes in some respects, that he, he's not particularly inclined to praise the technique of a goal like that because there is an awful lot, as you say, and athleticism in spades. But I, I also think, you know, what what new did we learn about him? Uh, this was the game where really, for me, I saw him as someone who is a leader. You know, mm. Arsenal always talks about it's important to have cap different captains on the field. And, you know, Alexis is a great example of someone who leads without the armband, without even speaking the language. He doesn't have to be shouting at his teammates to, to set an example. Uh, he's always willing to take the ball, always willing to take a risk, always willing to try and make something happen. Mm. And the responsibility that he showed, and it shows in those figures that have come out since the game, um, you know, Arsene talking about how, how many times he scores the important goals. You know, he's no Thomas Rosicki icing on the cake, man. He scores mm. the goals that break games. He... And I, I think that that is hugely invaluable to this team. Um, and again, just speaks volumes about his, his character and personality. Hmm. Theo Walcott made some comments after the game. Um, to, to a certain extent, I understand them. Uh, because he was talking about, you know, how they're trying to tell him, look, you don't get a winter break here. Right, um, I haven't seen those, I have he, to say. Yeah, I mean, it was it was nothing. He was just saying he's brilliant. And even on his recovery days, he wants to play. And we're telling him, look, chill out a bit. You don't get a winter break here. Um, and I understand that to a certain extent. And there are lots of questions today um, that have been sent our way about whether or not Alexis can keep it up for the for the season or if he's going to suffer from burnout. And, you know, I understand people's fear on that as well. But my, my thinking on it is, look, if you've got this guy doing that in your team, the last thing you want to do is tell him, look, you know, just chill out a bit. No, it's keep doing that. And why don't we do more to ensure that he can keep doing that? Hmm. Yeah, where do you where do you stand on that one? I well, what can I say against Burnley? I was at two nil. I did wonder if they might give Alexis a rest. I did wonder if they might bring him off for the last ten minutes or so because in the form that he's in, he has to start absolutely every single game for us. Yeah, um, they didn't. Now. There is the argument that they just deem it unnecessary because he's got that Duracell bunny style relentlessness that means he can just keep going. Um, I think that as the season wears on into the winter, you will see him 
withdrawn from games a little more just to protect him. I don't think it's reasonable to expect him to play every minute of his first season in English football. But I do think that the evidence seems to suggest that he does have the capacity to to handle it at present. Mm. You know, certain players do. Um, So I don't think it's too much of a pressing concern. Theo's probably just hoping that Alexis uh, needs a rest at some point so he can get back in the team. (laughs) Um, I mean, it is one of those things for a manager that's very difficult because uh, on the one hand, you have people going, well, you know, we're, we've got to give him a rest. We can't burn him out. He's so important. But on the other hand, he's so important because he's doing what he's doing. Mm. Um, is, is there a chance that, you know, maybe we're just conditioned in that way as Arsenal fans that we are looking at him and rather than enjoying completely what he's doing, we're immediately looking for the dark side, the negative side, because of the injuries that we pick up, because it's happened before, that we're just afraid that this is a kind of a fear-based thing rather than uh, anything that's based in rationality. Yeah, well, I mean, uh, Alexis at Barcelona did have a a slight history of muscular injuries. Um, I know I can feel every listener tensing up as I say (laughs) that. Um, And there was actually a really interesting um, moment captured on camera once I, I think Graham Hunter referred to this in, in one of his slightly negative pieces about Ars- Alexis when Arsenal signed him whereby Alexis was chasing down a ball in the I don't know 80th minute or something with a game one and, and pulled up with a hamstring uh, and as he was sort of taken off the pitch injured Guardiola was screaming at him 90 minutes 90 minutes because uh, you know Alexis uh, basically he didn't pace himself properly mm. he, he didn't he would he, and this became a tendency that he would overdo it and get injured early now somehow by some miracle touch of the guards that hasn't yet happened at Arsenal and, and God forbid it does because as I say he's absolutely invaluable at the moment mm. I yeah maybe we are conditioned to think negatively I do have little concerns about it just because I don't know as fresh as he looks game in game out can that possibly last across the season I don't know I mean it it seems superhuman um, but he's amazed me on so many levels so far maybe he uh he can do it what do you think I I don't know I don't know I mean I just think um I think you, you have to be a little bit sensible and perhaps when it is 2-0 um you could you could take him off and you could give him a rest because mm. uh, the game is won. I don't think Burnley were coming back from from two nil down. Um, but then, yeah, I, I suppose as long as he's playing the way he's playing, the temptation is to just leave him on because the more you win or the better you win, the more confidence you gain as well. So, I think the manager's trying to trying to deal with that a little bit. Okay, well, look, we'll leave him there. Uh, just quickly on Theo Walcott, uh, his comeback. Um, first game since January, since that cruciate injury. Um, good to have him back, and obviously he's going to be eased into action over the next uh, over the next couple of weeks. Yeah, and admittedly it was against a very tired Burnley side. You know, the tide was very much with Arsenal at that point, but I thought he looked pretty sharp, um, sharper than maybe I'd expect. There were a couple of runs, you know, between defenders, and that shot that was well turned over by a keeper who had a, a brilliant game. You have to say. Mm. Um, so yeah, I thought the, the signs were encouraging, didn't you? Yeah, he's bulked up a bit as well, hasn't he? Looks like he's obviously spent some time in the gym. Yeah, and it was interesting hearing him talk last week, I think. He said that because of the way his career accelerated so quickly through his teens, because he was sort of straight into the first team picture as a teenager, he feels a little bit like he missed out on some of that gym work, which I think can you know fill some of the time when you're when you're going through the kind of academy process mm. and so being out for that long has actually enabled him to do a bit of catch up there so fingers crossed that you know that will help him on the field and also maybe prevent more injuries in future theo beefcake indeed all right okay uh, that's that for part one we're going to take a short break we're back with your questions and part two right after this
If two hours cast a week aren't enough for you, remember, you can get the audiobook version of Together, the story of Arsenal's unbeaten season. It's available to download now from shop.arsblog.com. Shop.arsblog.com. The important part is to make sure you sign up for an account with the shop before you make the purchase. Then you'll be emailed the download link. Then the files are yours to download, to listen on your phone, computer, whatever you like. It's shop.arsblog.com. It's a book in your ears. Welcome back to the Arsecast Extra. Right now, it's the part of the show where we take your questions sent to us on Twitter, at GunnerBlog and at Arsblog. And uh, the first question today comes from Rob Ashdown. And uh, he wants to know, uh, it's Wrighty's birthday today. Uh, mm. So what are your uh, favorite moments of right magic? Uh, there are so many. He was absolutely my favorite player in the kind of mid-90s and... In fact, when he left Arsenal, I was pretty bereft. Um, <laughs> I genuinely was. He went to West Ham and I was like, do I have to like West Ham now? I was quite young at the time. I didn't really understand what was happening. Um, but it, it laid the groundwork for my parents' eventual divorce. <laughs> I, <laughs> I, uh, my favourite right moment, the one that sticks in my mind is a... I think it was against Leeds. It's a chipped goal. Was it against Leeds? It's from the sort of right-hand corner of the penalty area mm. and he, he's sort of heading, dribbling seemingly into a blind alley and then he just lifts it back over the goalkeeper who stood completely stranded. Um, I think it's Leeds, not sure. Tweet in if I'm wrong. But it's a like beautiful, beautiful chip as as delicate as anything Dennis Burkamp could have produced. Mm. Um he loved well, it. He loved a chip, didn't he? He scored a yeah. lot of chip goals because um, there was that one against. I mean, I think my favourite is the one against um, the one against Everton, where he sort of lobs it over the defender and back oh, over him yeah. and then yeah. across uh, Neville Southall. Um, but he did. He did score a lot of chip goals. I remember one as well. It could have been against Sheffield Wednesday or Swindon or somebody, and I think we won the game seven nil. And he just chipped one in from absolutely miles out. You're looking yeah. at it and you're thinking, goalkeeper, but it, it was just so perfect. Absolutely. I mean, uh, other memories of him, um, there was a testimonial game at Highbury. I mean, there were a few, obviously. I can't remember whose it was. Might have been Paul Merson, maybe. Um, Graham Ricks played, that's all I remember. This was kind of, again, mid to late 90s, where mm. he was just on unbelievable form he, he came on as a sub I think and he was sort of climbing over all the advertising hoardings and just messing around and I think that infectious spirit is what I loved so much about him I mean he had he was so adventurous as a player but he was also just like huge huge fun and you know mm. however irritating he might have become to some people as a pundit I think his presence on the football field was you know, always, always enlivening. And uh, yeah, in terms of specific goals, it is difficult because there were an awful, awful lot, weren't there? Yes, there were. I think that <laughs> Everton one is my my favourite. Happy birthday, though. It's quite frightening, actually, that Ian Wright is, I think he's 52, 51, 52? 51. There you go. 51. Time, time will take us all. And on that cheery note... <laughs> uh, <laughs> let's move on to the, right. the next question um, this is an interesting one this is from uh, Toby Westcott White and he asks uh, Westcott White that sounds like the sort of name you might find in Arsenal's youth team doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, the Arsenal gentleman uh, could have made him up Indeed, um, he asks is Monreal's solid game at centre back a consequence of practice or terrible opposition? I think a combination of the two, to be perfectly honest. Um, mm. He looked quite comfortable against Sunderland as well. Looked comfortable, obviously, against Burnley. Uh, there were a couple of moments where, I'm not saying he was Koscielny-esque, but in terms of what he did uh, in sweeping up behind or, or being the guy with a bit of pace who could um, who could uh, sweep up behind Mertesacker when it was required, I think he did that pretty well. Um, he's looked good in the air as well, which has been one of the one of the, the the pluses I think of him moving in there that he has been quite aggressive in the way that he attacks the ball in the air. Um, mm. c- considering he is quite short, he's what five ten something like that. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think he admitted himself that he felt it strange playing at centre half. 
um, because he spent his entire career as a left back. And it does take a little bit of time to to learn a new position, which is essentially what he's being asked to do. Um, so yeah, I, I think it's I think it's a combo. Uh, it's still not an ideal situation for me that he's uh, that he's playing in there. But given the options, um, I can kind of understand it to a certain extent if the managers identified him as his fourth choice centre half from uh, before the start of the season and and when he didn't buy anybody else. Um, yeah, I mean, I think he's just looked a bit more comfortable and practice has played a part and uh, the, the opposition has played a part also. I mean, the, the next two games, Anderlecht and Swansea, you know, decent enough teams, but look, you'd expect us to win those. I, I think it would be a big test or a much bigger test when we play Manchester United if he's got to fill in there, if Koscielny's not back, mm. when he's playing against really top-class players. Um, and like them or not, you know, the Falcao and Rooney and Van Persie will give uh, a defence more trouble than, um, who you know, Boney or whoever the hell plays up front for, for Anderlecht and certainly more than whoever plays uh, for Sunderland and Burnley. Yeah. I mean... A- Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. A week or two ago, I think we were both of a mind um, to set, play Chambers at centre-back and, and bring Bellerin at, at right-back. Mm. Given Montreal's sort of relatively comfortable displays, and I think how well... Chambers did it at right back at the weekend. I thought he was absolutely superb. Yeah, it was good. Um, would Would you be inclined to kind of stick with this back four for now? Then two clean sheets on the bounce. Yeah, I mean, I don't think you change it if it's worked in the last two games. And um, look, we haven't kept an awful lot of clean sheets this season, so it would seem odd. I think the reason that he has Monreal in there is purely for experience. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he wants to play as many of his experienced defenders as he can. Um, you know, Bellerin is is a, a young player with a lot of potential, but you know, um, three or four games—that's all he's played, and you know, it is a lot to expect um, him to come in and, and do a job. Like you said, Chambers was very good on on Saturday. Also, um, I think he struggles a little bit um, when he faces players with 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 real pace. Uh, right, but I yeah. don't think Sunderland had that, and I don't think. Um, Burnley had that, so he was he was pretty comfortable. And they were games that we, we were on top of for the most part. Uh, but, you know, a good goal. He really enjoyed his goal. I think that was the first time he's uh, scored a goal in, in senior football. Mm. So, first ever. Yeah, so there you go. Um, all right, here's one from Roger Clark. That's at Roger Clark. Okay. Yeah, it's quite... Keep it simple. Yeah, handy and uh, efficient. He wants to know, are you happy with the Ox's progress? He says, not scoring, assisting, crossing, dribbling, tracking, or shooting, which seems a bit harsh to me. It sounds like Roger's not happy. I don't think he is. Okay. I think um, Oxlade-Chamberlain was, was, you know, I just mentioned Chambers, but I think Oxlade-Chamberlain was also excellent against Burnley. Um I think it's a strange time to raise that point because I think he had a superb game at the weekend. Uh, I suppose, I think consistency is an issue for him. Um, but I think that will come. You've got to remember how young he still is. I think that, that sometimes gets overlooked because he's been around for a few years now, but he came in as a teenager uh, and he hasn't had regular football that would help him to iron out those inconsistencies in his game. I think he's a player for whom confidence is really important. 
you know, he's someone who likes to run at people, who likes to take shots on. Uh, he should score more goals because he's got an excellent shot on him. But I, I do feel like that will come. And I, I was very encouraged by what I saw against Burnley. I think he'll be hard to displace. I think people say Theo Walcott's back, but I think he's got a fight on his hands in the face of Chamberlain. And um, yeah, I would say I am content with his with his performances, especially given how long he missed last season due to injury. What, what about you? Yeah, I thought he was a bit a bit indifferent in the first half against Burnley and there were a couple of moments where he did things wrong and you could see him the the camera close up and he's berating himself for that but I thought the second half um one of one of the issues we've had perhaps is you know at nil nil against opposition like Burnley we just start too slowly if you think even back to the game against Hull the way we started the second half and just never got going and what he did in the opening 20 seconds of the first or of the second half was get the ball pick it up tear down the right hand side and he he created a good chance for Mikel Arteta from the edge of the box which Mm. um, unfortunately fell to his left foot Uh, had it been on his right foot I think we probably would have scored Um, and that gave us just drive and momentum straight away in that second period so um, I I like that he's a very forward thinking player and I agree with you that he he can do better in terms of his uh, his goal scoring, uh, he's only got one so far this season, but I think that will come. His age is still um, he's still pretty young. Uh, he hasn't quite got a, a nailed down position in the team, which I'm not entirely sure helps him um, settle. If you know what I mean, that he, he could play on the left, he could play in midfield, he could play on the right. Mm-hmm. Um, he's sometimes been asked to play uh, deeper in the midfield. Um, and I think that's I think that's a little bit of an issue too. But that that that'll come in time. Um, but yeah, no, I'm I'm happy with him overall. I think he's a, a good addition to the squad. He's got real pace as well, which I think sometimes gets overlooked. Um, and I think you know just a bit more patience is required with with Oxide Chamberlain. It'll come good. I, I think as well. He's got as well as pace. He's got that kind of muscularity that is so useful. And I. I have noticed this season he's been very effusive in his praise of Alexis Sanchez and you do wonder if we we talk about other players following that example I think in Oxlade-Chamberlain you have seen that a bit he's closing down a lot more than he has in previous seasons he's Mm. prepared to take players on -on one-on-one and and trust his strength to get past them so I think he's benefiting from from playing alongside someone like that and I think he's definitely on the right trajectory it might not be as quick as we might have imagined when he first burst onto the scene, you know, a couple of years ago. But I think he suffered from injuries and, and as you say, not having a consistent place in the side. But I, I think he's making progress and he's in a, a decent shape at the moment. Yeah, cool. All right, next uh, question. Is it me? Yes. Okay, this question is from uh, I Gillette. Um, don't know what that signifies. And he, she, it asks after his 10 minute cameo on Saturday do you think Podolski deserves a start ahead of Kozula on the left hand side um maybe he could do it tomorrow night against Anderlecht um mm. I mean it was a it was a cracking cameo wasn't it from Podolski he was so unlucky not to score the keeper made a brilliant save you know what we should do in future is uh, it's ten forty-two. That's bin lorry time outside your house. We should try. Really, and, we should try and um, work the recording when the bin lorry isn't coming. But anyway, <laughs> um, I, he was unlucky not to score. Hit the post with a shot that he absolutely smashed, and the keeper made a brilliant save. Um, and I think maybe with Cazorla, the uh, the pressure of not scoring is maybe beginning to tell a little bit on him there was one where he cut back it could have been I think it was first half anyway but uh, the ball was cut back to him and he he fizzed a volley and it it curled just wide of the post and had he been been maybe five yards further out uh, you know the curl on that would have taken it into the goal and you could just see him looking at it going oh god I can't believe this and then the, the other shot was blocked brilliantly by the defender when he was following up and you know um I think you have to give him credit for being in the right position to 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 uh, to have those chances but clearly his finishing is 
is letting him down at this moment in time. So maybe he could give Podolski a run uh, on the left-hand side uh, against Anderlecht. Um, you know, Podolski scored a very important goal, didn't he, uh, against Anderlecht in, in the last game. Um, mm. And I do think there is a need to... If you want players like Podolski to come on and be able to do a job, I think you have to give them more minutes. Um, I, I don't think he's ever going to be a first-team regular anymore. Podolski's not going to start a lot of games unless we have uh, some serious injuries. But there's no doubt that he's a player that has the quality to make an impact. So, yeah, I'd be, I wouldn't be against that. Cool. I mean, he, he, Podolski put out another one of his sort of uh, Instagram messages. Did you see that uh, no, yesterday? I, I think it was. I think it was something about how you know we are patient. We wait for our chance or something like that. Mm. And, and I do wonder if his chance might come against Anderlecht. He he had a, a decent cameo. That shot that hit the post was pretty incredible, wasn't it? Uh, yeah. If that had gone in, I think we would have remembered it for a long time. Um, goal may still be shaking from that one. And I think, yeah, he Santi. I think is struggling a little bit for his best form. I think he still plays an important role in the side in terms of adding fluency and his movement's very intelligent. He interchanges positions well. But I think Andalek may be a game in which we can give Podolski a run out. And I do think with these squad players, it is important to give them a start every now and again just so they retain a level of sharpness so that when they are needed to come off the bench, they're useful. What did you make of the decision? And I know that you can maybe read a lot into it. Um that when Yaya Sonogo was fit, he came back on the bench ahead of uh, Joel Campbell. Mm. Um, and there's a, I was tweeting about that on Saturday, and a lot of people were saying, well, uh, clearly Campbell is, is a much better player. And it's very difficult to defend Sonogo's goal-scoring record because, A, he doesn't have one, and, B, he doesn't have one. Whereas Campbell <laughs> obviously has a track record of goals down the years. My feeling on it is, though, that... Um, there were options for the for the manager in the wide positions that he had Podolski for the left hand side he had Walcott for the right hand side he had Rosicki that he could have played in either of those positions as well but if something had happened to Danny Welbeck for example he didn't have the out and out striker that would be my only reason to to keep Sonogo or to put Sonogo on the bench yeah I think he I don't think he sees Campbell as an option as that kind of lone striker uh in that Welbeck role, say. Probably mm. because his ball retention might not be quite up there. You know, we saw against Southampton in the uh, Capital One Cup, he conceded possession quite quite frequently. Um, I, I think it didn't surprise me enormously. We know that Arsene has huge faith in Sonogo, and uh, I think he definitely will be above Campbell in, in Arsene's pecking order. Is it a fair comparison, though, Um Sonogo and Campbell is it not a bit like comparing a centre half with a fullback if you know what I mean because you know Sonogo isn't a guy who can play wide whereas Campbell is yeah maybe I mean the thing is Campbell did play um, albeit because they had an injury I think to their their main striker Saborio maybe but Campbell did play as a lone striker for Costa Rica in the World Cup mm. um, so some people would suggest well you know, he, he he is comparable. He can play in the, the same role. It's a very different way of playing, though. They were playing as a team who sat very deep and just needed someone to basically chase things down up top. Um, I do think it's tricky. It's tricky for Campbell either way you look at it. You know, he's behind Sonogo, it seems, in the pecking order for a, a centre-forward spot. And he's behind an awful lot of players in the wide areas you know we've just talked about Oxlade Chamberlain we've talked about Theo Walcott coming back Podolski struggling for a game Campbell's not going to jump ahead of that, any of those in the queue Mesut Ozil still to come back yeah of course the, the famous winger so I think um, there's going to be a hell of a lot of uh, competition Serge Nabry you know or Gun yeah. Nabry rather yeah. um, one who we haven't seen for a while who is going to be back in contention soon you do feel that the writing may be on the wall for Campbell. Uh, it looked as if he might even go towards the end of the summer. The window, I, I think the Olivier Giroud injury might have impacted on indecision there. But yeah, uh, yeah, I, I, I'd be a little bit surprised to see him stay beyond January at this point. Yeah, same, I have to say. Uh, I think that that was quite telling that 
um, you know, his place in the squad is such that when Walcott's back, when we've got Oxlade-Chamberlain, when we've got Cazorla, Podolsky, uh, Ozil, even Alexis for the for the wide positions, that, you know, Capital One Cup was about as, as much as he could hope for, maybe an FA Cup game if he's still here in January. But uh, bar uh, a catastrophe in terms of the injuries, it's difficult to see him Difficult to see him getting a go. Uh, while we're on Podolsky, um, Anton Burlvard. Sorry, Anton, I know I didn't do that right, but uh, <laughs> he wants to know Anton Burlvard. 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 I think that's more like it. Um, okay. He wants to know uh, is Prince Paldi the best super sub in the Wenger era? If not, who is? And what are your top three subs of all time? Oh, wow. Top three subs of all time. Yeah. Dear, dear. It's hard. You've got to have Cabadiawara, so it's difficult. <laughs> um, let me have a think. Podolsky is pretty effective. Uh, I can think of several games where he's made an impact coming on. That one at West Ham last season stays strong in the mind. Um, obviously, there was Anderlecht recently too. Yeah. Um, subs... Help me out here. Who have I not got? Uh, I don't know. I was I was struggling with this one as well. I was hoping you would be. You I know, mean, the, the, the Canu guy was do. always quite helpful to bring off the bench. Mm. Um, but he he started the game where he scored the hat trick against Chelsea, didn't he? Yeah, he did. He did. He was on he the pitch from the start. It was Canu and, and uh, Davor Suker up front that day. Halcyon days. Thierry Henry on the bench. Wow. <laughs> um, other super subs. Mm. It's hard, isn't it? Yeah. Well, funnily enough, it's an aspect of Wenger's game that has been criticised, hasn't it? His ability to make game-changing substitutions. Yeah. Uh, maybe we're seeing why. I'm just trying to think back to the kind of Invincibles era. You know, uh, you think about the role Ole Solskjaer played at Manchester United. Was there anyone doing a similar thing for us, really? Um, I don't know, because in that squad, you know, you had players who who came in from the start often people like Ray Parler and Edu mm. and were very very capable but you don't really think of them sort of coming on to change a match no it uh, always struck me that we had more more of the Christopher Ray Cavadiawara type subs who we'd, we'd send on and kind of hope that they could do something but generally they didn't yeah and even in that era we were quite blessed with reserve goalkeepers who would come in and perform outstandingly and before that you know you think of Alex Manninger mm. but again that's more from the start we've had some excellent reserves but in terms of people who would actually change the course of a match I am struggling here yeah okay yeah. well I'm, I'm also struggling so we'll throw this one open to uh, to, the, to the listeners uh, they can leave a comment if they want on SoundCloud or just uh, hit us up on Twitter and remind us of all the ones that we've probably forgotten yeah I'm sure there's some really obvious ones um, do shout at us and let us know yeah alright go on let's have another one you want another one yeah okay alright this is good this is from Ali White and he asks if given the chance to poke Jose Mourinho in the face with an object what object would you choose just to poke him in the face because a poke by its very nature isn't anything hmm because I mean you could say a bullet couldn't you yeah, but, but you would just like poke a bullet into his face. It would it would make no difference. It would have to be something smeared with something, wouldn't it, for it to be in any way effective, or, right. or to to get the the required effect. If I'm you know uh, trying to pick up what's being said here, that this would be in some way damaging to Jose Mourinho. So um, perhaps something like a, a stick covered in a, a new strain of smallpox. Oh, okay, that's good. Yeah? Because in poking him with it, you could transmit said disease Mm -hmm. and thus have a a more permanent effect than your average poke does. Yeah, exactly. Rather than him just going, ow, that was slightly uncomfortable for a second, he would then fall prey to to smallpox. I mean, the, the, the thing is, though, we'd have to make sure that the rest of us were inoculated against this new strain of smallpox. Otherwise, we would create some kind of pandemic. Yeah, we could I'm bring sure about the end be. of the human race, which, while on the one hand would no longer have Mourinho in it, which is good, the rest of us would be dead, which is bad. Mm. It seems like a small price to pay for a prank on Jose Mourinho. I have to say. Yeah, um, 
I think that's a good suggestion. But again, the logistics seem difficult, don't they? The inoculation process will take time. It will. Like, yeah, quite quite a number of years. And by that point, would it be worth it? Yes, it would. But still, it would. It, it, would, would, it, would. it would take a lot. Let's embark upon it swiftly. Yeah. All right. Um, I have another question here. Uh, or do I? Yes, I do. It comes from Rob. An element of suspense introduced to the podcast yeah, there. At, at Gunnar UK. And he says, there's quite a bit of I agree on the podcast. What would you say is the biggest Arsenal-related thing you two disagree on? Oh, that's a really good question. It is. Do you agree that it's a good question? No. <laughs> okay, there we go. Problem solved. Yeah, that answered that one. Um, I don't know. What do we disagree on? Fundamentally, I don't know. Um, uh, hmm. Well, I didn't rate Philippe Senderos as highly as you. <laughs> That's true. But then again, I don't think you're alone there. No. <laughs> I don't no. think you're alone. Um, I don't know. I mean, I think the problem is the kind of dichotomy that divides Arsenal fans is the kind of awful, you know, are you pro Arsene Wenger or anti Arsene Wenger, right? Right. And I think that... Uh, as far as that fence goes, I don't think that either of us sort of have a, a definitive... We haven't got sort of AKB tattooed to us in any particular part of our anatomy. Do you know what I mean? This is kind of a... Or, or the alternative. I think we're both more fluid in our thinking. Yeah, we're not, we're not extremists. Is that what... Yeah. No, not in that area. I mean, in a lot of other areas, obviously. Yeah, yeah. particularly with animal rights and stuff. Exactly. And the way yeah. we set fire to... <laughs> Mink farms and stuff. Yeah, obviously. But in terms of football managers, no. Um, I don't know what we disagree on. I mean, that's such a boring response, isn't it? Yeah. Um, I should I th- probably just edit this question out now. Yeah. Do you think that... Uh, yeah, exactly, because it's kind of an implied criticism, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, you know, thanks for listening and everything. But Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, do you have another question? Maybe we can disagree on that. Maybe, you know, it'll happen organically. <laughs> well, we disagreed last week, did we not? On what? On the issue of um, whatever the would you rather was. Oh, right. Okay. So well, you... this, is, this is a good one that I think, I don't know. This is a really difficult question right. I'm going to ask you now. It's actually not a kind question. It's quite cruel. I think it's a bit weird. But okay. I'm, but in order to you know, facilitate some disagreement. <laughs> which of the following... This is from Selbridge Gooner. Which of the following would you save from drowning? A bag of puppies or Alexis Sanchez? That is really difficult. The thing is mm. that... Yeah... That's difficult because, number one, you need Alexis Sanchez because he's awesome. Yeah. But number two... I know how you feel about puppies, though. A bag of puppies would also be awesome. And if you saved a bag of puppies, you would have puppies. And they could climb on you and slurp you and stuff. And you could, let's face it, spend another £30 million on a player like Alexis Sanchez. That's good. I was worried you were going to say train one of the puppies to play as a roving striker in the mould of Alexis Sanchez. It would it would depend entirely on the breed of dog. Right. Because, you know, I don't think, uh, and I say this from personal experience, that even with the best training in the world, you could ever train a basset hound to no. be as energetic as Alexis Sanchez. And certainly he wouldn't be able to leap six foot ten in the air to score the opening goal against Burnley. But a more... Uh, active kind of breed, whether it's a German Shepherd or a Collie or, or something like that, uh, some kind of lurcher, they they could certainly be, they could certainly do the the job in terms of their work rate and their and their engine. But it's a, it's a very difficult one. Um, a bag of puppies or Alexis Sanchez? Who would I save? <sighs> it's really difficult, isn't it? Are they crying? Um. Like is Alexis, I have to ask is, why you're asking that. Well, because, I mean, if it's a load of puppies going... 
or Alexis going, Ayúdame! I, you know, uh, that, that could make a difference to me. Right. What, you, in what way? That I'm I, fascinated I, by this. Like, I, if I, the puppies weren't crying, would you assume that they were sort of happy to go and that they were escaping, you know, the, the problems of their life and you'd, you'd relinquish your grasp on them? What's, what's, the, what's driving this question about the noise they're making? <laughs> I just don't think I could, I could listen to the puppies. I, I don't think I could listen to the puppies crying as they okay. were drowning. Okay. But they'd be, yeah, they'd be underwater, so how, how could they? How could they cry? Or maybe it was just they're just paddling. Are they in a? It's a bag. Just admit it. it. You want Alexis Sanchez dead. You've made it clear. (laughs) The puppies are in a bag, right? Is Alexis Sanchez in a bag? bag? Is Alexis Alexis, in a bag as well? No, Alexis Sanchez. It's just as a bag of puppies or Alexis Sanchez. He's bagless. He's bag free. (sighs) You see, the thing is, you're looking into his eyes. The puppies are at. A, a, a much bigger disadvantage than Alexis Sanchez because A, if he's not in a bag, he can swim, assuming he's learned to swim. Whereas the puppies mm. are, are are being put in a bag and probably tied, and there's some stones put in the in the bottom of it, and that seems inordinately cruel to me. So my my if I w- if I had to leap in and save one of them, it would be to save the puppies because they have no chance. Whereas Alexis has at least got a chance. Uh, and and he could swim, or you know, somebody could throw him something. I don't know. That that would be me. Puppies. He, call, he calls himself an Arsenal fan, ladies and gentlemen. Can you believe it? He's just allowed Alexis Sanchez to drift to the bottom of, of the canal. <laughs> no, no, I am. Uh, <laughs> uh, I think you're right because surely he's a brilliant swimmer. He's brilliant at everything else. Yeah, yeah. He he must be able to swim like the man from Atlantis. I imagine he's probably got gills. Yeah. Like in Waterworld. And webbed things between his hands and feet. Mmm. Amazing. Maybe that's how he's able to control the ball so well, because there's no space between his toes. Mm. It's all just flesh-filled. That could be why he, he was able to jump so high as well, because he could he can sort of glide like a flying bat. You know, the way they kind of go with their oh, things, yeah. see? So it's there you go. The powers of so many animals. Mm. All right, well, I look... I think there's dream happening, so I think we should call it a day. I think that might be a good idea. So uh, thank you all for listening. We'll have an Arsecast on Friday, another Arsecast Extra uh, next Monday when we'll be looking back to the uh, the game against Swansea. So until then, have a good one. Bye-bye. <laughs>